Well, good morning. Good to be with you again here today. Get my little technology together and I know what I'm doing. Well, I want to thank God for this opportunity to share with you and see some old friends, some old church members and uh, all of that and uh, just thank God for this opportunity. I want to be able to share with you today as this slide here, this next slide speaks of my wife Sharon and I. We had um, 48 years of a good marriage by the grace of God. We were both seeking God in college. We got involved in planning a church together in the inner city of Scranton, Pennsylvania. And God drew our hearts together and we married and we spent some time in uh, Washington, D.C. area on the Maryland side. Then we came out here to Indiana and spent most of our lives here together. Uh, we have six children, one son-in-law, three daughter-in-laws, and four grandchildren. But as this slide shows that in November of 2021, God took Sharon home to be with him. Now, I tell people going through this experience, the Bible says that we will all die. That shouldn't surprise us. But to experience the loss of someone when God says he makes a 2-1 and then one of them leaves, it leaves something empty in your life. So I go through periods of grief, but I understand that's all part of the process and I trust God. But one of the things that I have in my heart and my desire is that I want to carry on the ministry that God began with Sharon and I. I want to carry it on, first of all, for the glory of God, and secondly, to honor my wife and continue that ministry that we had together for so long. So I'm delighted to be here with you this morning, and I just want to, to talk to you about the challenge that our society faced. I'll make that, bring that next slide up. The challenge that, that we're facing right now. In a book I wrote with Ken Ham, One Race, One Blood, we say this. The political, cultural, and racial ethnic polarization within the U.S. and much of the world has deepened distrust, anger, hatred, fear, and division. And then here's a statement I want you to capture. Sadly, the church often fractures along similar lines as the world. I don't know about you, but I don't... <laughs> I trust hardly anything I see and hear. I mean, everybody's lying, it seems to me. I Probably some people out there are telling the truth, but I don't know who it is. And uh, I can watch one station and get something. I can watch another news station and get something totally different. You get on social media and you got everything out there. And so you and I are living in this time of great distrust and, and there's anger out here and, 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 and fear and all the rest. And I, I want to say to you that while we're in this period that... Um, the statement that I make here, at the central core of racism, we find sinful hearts of men living in a fallen world. This fundamental problem has no earthly cure. You and I have got to rise up above cursing the darkness and shine the light. You and I have the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the foundational problem that we're dealing with. And, and, and you and I have got to get it together from different racial, ethnic, economic, and all those type of things that splinter us without biblical justification for it. We've got to get it together. As we say down here, and as I say in this particular uh, slide, it says, we are at a critical point in our country and our world, especially in urban centers. 
Communities and churches are looking for honest, respectful, encouraging, enlightening interaction that lead to biblical efforts to transform our urban communities for the glory of God. Now, you can take urban out of that and say every, every community, right? That's what you're trying to do. Next slide here. Um, here's what I'm going to try to go over with you this morning quickly. My heart's passion is simply this. Creating communities of light is a higher priority than cursing the darkness. Historically, the fundamental conservative Bible-believing churches have been excellent at cursing the darkness. And we've done a poor job at demonstrating the light. And so what I want, my passion is, is for us in these communities where God has placed us by his own sovereign providential will, that you and I need to be what, what we want it to be known for is love. And I'm talking about biblical love because I can hear some of you right now, you're ready to curse the darkness. I don't tell me about love. Love, they, that's what they're saying. They're trying to include all this immorality. I understand that. But as we'll see here in a few moments, Jesus said the first commandment is not to curse the darkness, but love God and love your neighbor. You and I have got to come to grips with that in the places where God has sent us to live. It is critical right now, I believe, that we get this together. And so what I want to do is give an overall goal and, and my desired takeaways from that. Introduction to uh, Grace Relations, the College of Biblical Studies, and then talk about our Sharon and I, our Grace Relations story, which is love. Now, I want, to, I, want, I, want, I want to challenge you this morning to begin to think in your heart. Uh, I, I'm thinking in Indianapolis, we got murder rates going on, and we got politicians arguing about it. We got police officers arguing about it. We got people in the community scared half to death. So, so many things. The mayor says, we can't handle this crime. We need a community. The IMPD police says, we can't handle this. We need a community. And I raised the question to a group of leaders there. Should there be a unified, gospel-centered, Bible-believing group who answers that call? How do we serve our community? I notice you've got something here, serving our community. I mean, that's critical right now. Because I can tell you right now that many Christians have a reputation and it's not serving our community. We have a reputation of cursing the darkness. We have a reputation of trying to escape the escape the darkness and run from it. But no, in the power of God through the indwelling Holy Spirit, we want to engage the community. And we're not, we, we, I tell people, I do not make a good undercover Christian. <laughs> so you ain't telling me I can't talk about Christ or I can't talk about biblical morality. No, that's why I'm there. But they need to see us engaging. And, and, and that's what I want us that's what I want us to be challenged about. This next slide, some takeaways. Here's, 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 here's some things I want us to get. The authority, of, the authority of Scripture. God has common grace, and he uses law for certain, re, for certain reasons. It'll restrain evil, but the law never transforms anybody. It restrains them. And I believe that that's needed in society. But I also believe this, we all have a worldview, and I'm interested in a biblical worldview, starting with creation. Where did we come from? We, 
You're not who you think you are, feel you are. You're who God says you are. From creation, people have dignity and worth because they were created in the image of God. Uh, but then I have to deal with this thing biblically called the fall. So though you've been created in the image of God, you have value because you've been created in the image of God, it does not mean everything you do is accepted by God. In fact, your propensity and my propensity as fallen individuals is to sin against God. And we see that manifested, but we're not hopeless there. We don't have to accept the sinful lifestyle and say this is the way we are, but there's redemption. His name is Jesus Christ. And so you and I need to get a hold of, as we live in this world with all the confusion and all the rest, we need to get a, we need to get a biblical worldview into our thinking and judge everything through that grid. That's what I want to challenge you on. And that brings us to that reality of sin and God's grace within the people of God. And here's one thing I'm trying to get across in Indianapolis and wherever I go, that where sin did abound, grace did there much more abound. We are not fearful, we are not helpless, but we have a gospel that saves and transforms. And regardless of the sin that people are caught in and where they are, we have a message that can bring deliverance through the power of Almighty God. And then I want to uh, challenge us to a commitment to be a community of light, loving God and our neighbor. That's what some of your signs talks about. You get a gospel center. You want to grow. You want to be that light. And then a commitment to communicate your life's, your life's or institution's grace relations story. We Christians, we all have a grace relations story. If you are a Christian, you have realized that you are a sinner. And you repented of it and believed on Christ. You've been saved by the grace of God. That's grace. We're not only saved by grace, we're sanctified by grace. And we serve by grace. You Why should Christians be hiding our story? Don't let the world scare you into hiding your story. Don't, don't make, don't, don't, no, 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 no. Nobody tells me what I can and can't say about my Savior. Because he's the reason I'm doing what I'm doing. You take him out of the equation, my life will go really different. And you don't want to see that part. The next slide here, grace relations. This is the answer that I've been talking about. Here's certain things that grace relations assume. Grace relations assumes there's a God who created the heavens and the earth and all humanity. Grace relations assume that uh, Jesus Christ was born of a virgin and lived amongst us some 30 years before he died and buried and raised again. Grace relations assume that we're all sinners, but through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we've been saved. Grace relations assume that saved people are indwelt by the Spirit of God, living in obedience to the Word of God, empowered by the Spirit of God. They're gifted by God to advance the kingdom of God, and grace relations believe there is hope. His name is Jesus Christ. And if indeed you believe that, why are you following the world? Why are you letting the world dictate to you who you are and how you handle problems? The world doesn't have the Holy Spirit. The world isn't living by the word of God. 
The world isn't indwelt by the, by the Spirit of God and gifted by the Spirit of God. The world, isn't, the, wor- the world doesn't have the power of God. It's about time as Christians we get a hold of that and jump up and do what we need to do. All right, we'll do this next slide and see if we can get that, that um, video to play. One race, one love. This is a powerful book co-authored by myself and him and my good friend, Dr. Charles Ware. And this is the most comprehensive book in his biblical and scientific aspects of so-called races, so-called, but there's only one biological race, two spiritual races, dealing with skin shades, topics like interracial marriage, well, biologically there's no such thing, the so-called curse of hand, well, I'm sensitive to that, having to have a hand, that's, that's absurd teaching, that's beneath the it's full of craziness and racism, and we need to deal with all those topics comprehensively, and of course, Dr. Ware, grace relations, not race relations, there's only one race of human beings, that's Adam's race, grace relations, what, what do you mean by grace relations? Well, you saw that again in the, in the book we addressed that, because we're one race, but one spiritual race, and as you mentioned, you pointed some of that out. different things. I just look at bridge too far from African American history and how people were mistreated there. But the idea is the grace of God. We're all sinners, but we're saved by the grace of God and we become one new race all by the grace of God. And you know what's great about this book? It's co-authored by someone of the lighter view and someone of the darker view because we're all members of Adam's race and we're dealing with this issue. One race, one love. Amen. I recommend you get that book. Let's go to the next slide because it comes from a biblical worldview, and that's what I'm all about. I say here that grace relations believe that a biblical understanding of race, justice, and love provides an excellent way towards oneness with diversity. During this season of massive demographic and cultural change, God's Word provides a path for personal and institutional transformation that results in unified collaborative efforts to advance the kingdom of God. Aligning with God's revealed plan in dependence upon his provision assures both personal and institutional progress for his glory. The grace relations way promotes respectful us and us conversations rooted in biblical truth and ongoing training that encourages loving collaborations that results in personal and institutional change. Such change increases personal growth, professional contribution, and community good. These grace communities become flourishing institutions known for loving God and our neighbors. That's my passion. That's what I want to see at Parkside. It's great to see some of the things you've got up on your walls and where you're headed because that is what I believe in, think we desperately need. Go to that next slide, if you would. Grace relations, what we seek to do. And this goes right along with what some of you are talking about, but, 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 I, but I'm, trying to, I'm trying to, I'm encouraging Christian groups anyway, uh, uh, even businesses if you want, instead of having a diversity and inclusion uh, uh, ministry or or department, why don't you try Grace Relations Council? Because it keeps you on a biblical view to address the issues that need to be addressed. But here's what I'm seeking for in, in Grace Relations. Number one is discipleship. We're going to be talking about that, loving God. Loving God and loving our neighbor. Listen, folks, if you're engaged in so-called changing our society, but getting color, different people of different skin tones together, and you're not growing and loving God more, 
You're not growing and loving your neighbor more. You miss the point. And when you love God, guess what? You keep his commandments. You, you don't get straight up and caught up in a lot of worldly philosophies that takes you from God. You get rooted in God. You love God because he first loved you and he died for you. He indwells you. You're living by his word. And as you get grounded in that, then you are free to love other people. And that's discipleship. So that's one of the things we want. Then I want edification, encouragement. I, don't, I can't tell you how many places I speak and to believers. Oh, I'm, I don't know what to say. Ooh, I, I, if I, I just think if I say something, I, I might offend somebody. Chill, you will. <laughs> In this society, you can't help it. But you can have a humble heart that if you... If somebody says you offended them and, and, and it's not nothing to break the Bible, you can repent. When we trust people, we feel free to say things and we assume the best in them. But that's a trust level. That takes relationships, getting to know people at a trust level so that you can talk and they can talk. But I'm trying to edify people. The Bible says in Ephesians 4 that I want the words of my mouth to minister grace. To people. Before I speak to people, number one, I ask God, help me understand what you want me to say, not what I want to say, what you want to say to these people. And if they've been saved by the grace of God, if they're part of the family of God, God reminds me, the people you're speaking to, I have redeemed them and I will hold you responsible for everything you say to them. I need us encouraged because God has made us interdependent, not independent. And the best message to a community will be unified Christians across color and economic and age lines, believing one gospel, upholding one another, encouraging one another, having one another's back, and demonstrating what this next, one, next point is, manifestation. That is, listen, folks, G Jesus gave Unbelievers, the right to say that we are his disciples or not by whether we love him or not, love whether we love one another or not. We're going to get into that a little deeper here, but I'm, I'm struck with this. God, with all the division and name calling we've got, how in the world will unbelievers believe that we're followers of Christ? When Jesus himself says, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples. You have love one for another. Uh, the third thing, the fourth thing I'm, I'm interested in is, is I got down here salvation. I want to depopulate hell. We're told to go into all the world and make disciples, right? You and I, that, listen, that's a command, not a suggestion. You, we don't run from society. We run to society. And we want to see people get saved. We want to see them get born again. I, I say to myself, if Indianapolis didn't have another murder for the next 100 years and everyone was making good money and everybody was full and they didn't have Christ and go to hell, we would have failed. Heaven is not a segregated place, but neither is hell. We're all going to get together somewhere. So we might as well give the gospel, try to get together. And then I'm doing this to, to glorify God. The next slide... Here, just go over these real quickly here. Respectful conversations. I mean, Ephesians 4.15. We need to learn how to talk to one another. 
Respectful conversation. This is the process I use. Respectful conversation leading to loving collaborations that uh, manifest itself in personal and community change. And then the next one, I, I work out of the College of Biblical Studies. The College of Biblical Studies exists to glorify God by educating and equipping and noting. Get me that next slide up there. By, um, exists to glorify God by educating and equipping multi-ethnic Christian leaders to impact the world for Christ. Not to run from the world, but to impact the world. We have truth. We believe in truth. We want our students to get truth. And then we believe in training. They need to be trained according to the truth. And then transformation. God transforms us from the inside out. And the world should be able to see that. We should impact the world. When, when Christians are in a, in, a, in, a, in a society, a community, there should be impact because God is there and making that impact. This next slide, just quickly, just show that we try to practice what we preach. We got fit, about 50% African-American, about 29% Latino, 17% white, and we got some other groups there, so that we have the optics. You can't say to us that we don't have, we're, we're talking about reconciliation, but we just don't have it. There are some resources that you can get a hold from me. You can take that, um, that, that web address there. Um, Culture, Race, and the Church is a course that I created with a Brother of the lighter hue in our college, all our students have to take that course to get through. And basically what that course is answering the underlying question, if the gospel is the answer, why are we so segregated? It will go back over history. It'll go over Native American history. Real quick, Native American history, African American history, Latino history, immigration, uh, go through the slavery, uh, segregation, integration, uh, civil rights and all that. But through a biblical lens. And the goal is to have our students come through that, believing God, trusting God, and moving forward. That course could be taken online with or without a facilitator. Some of the things our school did, well, this is, was for actually, was for, um, this next, next slide, please. That was actually for Christian schools, so I won't bother you with that. I know you got a Christian school, but it's all right. <laughs> Prejudice and the People of God, the first book I wrote. Now, I'm going to work you through this real quick because I just want you to hear about Sharon and I's grace relations story and why I'm so passionate as I am about having multi-ethnic uh, ministries for the glory of God. Uh, I got saved in 1968. That's the year Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated. Robert Kennedy was assassinated. Racial unjust, uh, unrest was in our country, so on and so forth. I was in a school about 90 uh, probably about 94, 95% white in upstate New York. I served on the student council when I was a freshman. I was president of my class when I was a sophomore. I was vice president of student council when I was a junior. I was president of student council when I was a senior. And, uh, and, 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 and I didn't have Christ. And two fellows of the lighter hue that you call white came to my house on a Monday night, led me to saving faith in Christ. God turned my life around 180 degrees. I wanted Bible. I was the first black person baptized into that church. In fact, my mother said, son, you look like a fly in a bowl of milk. I said, I, I said they got Bible. I don't care. I mean, I, I just said, give me a little time. I'll color them all. But, but listen, I had a passion for God. I got saved in March of 1968. In August of 1968, this was only by the grace of God. God burdened me to go to a Bible college in Pennsylvania. They only had one African-American girl, and she graduated out, 
after their year. And so I was there, and they had about three or four Jamaicans. Now, you got to remember the racial tension in the land. And I'm, say, and I'm telling God, I, I actually prayed. I said, God, you sure you want me to go to that school? <laughs> the Ku Klux Klan might be down in them hills. And besides, I had applied to three state universities, had scholarships at three state universities. They didn't know what a scholarship was. 200 students. So I went. So I'm down there and I'm around some, 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 some students who've never seen a black person up live in person. And I had my issues with some of them, but that's all right. But, but when, when I was a senior and, and, and Sharon was a junior, and, and, and I actually told God this too. I said, God, I don't want to... I don't want to marry. I don't want the responsibility of a family in this society because I hadn't really bought into Martin Luther King. <laughs> no, no, no. Nonviolent? No, no. I won't start a fight, but if you start it, I will finish it or die trying. So I wasn't into all that. So I was telling God, I don't want this stuff. And yet, God, I said, I don't want a family. And if you want me to get married, don't let it be a white woman because these people, they're they're crazy. <laughs> and yet Sharon, Sharon and I, the Lord is bringing us together. So she's a junior, I'm a senior. And we believe God's bringing us together and gets around. So the administration of the college here, she, Sharon is out here in Indiana, in Indianapolis, teaching at Heritage Christian School, doing a, her, her, her student teaching. She's called and told, if you and Charlie get married, you're going to have to Stop your teaching, come back, drop out of college. So we said, let's pray about that. So we prayed for a year waiting. We prayed for a year. After a year, she's graduating now, so we're going to get married. So we started this inner city church, and a lot of students was there, and all these students were white. Administration called all these students together and said, if Charlie and Sharon get married, you're going to have to choose between the church and the college. Now, to their credit, without me, I wasn't in their meeting. They met all by themselves. And one of them was my deacon. He told me what happened, said, we're going to meet. They met. He came back and said, well, we met. We believe that God ordained the local church. He did not ordain a college. This is our local church. We're not moving. The administration said, okay, probably because it's too much money. <laughs> Too many students dropping out. So what they said is everybody that is a member can stay, but no other students could become members. Now, it was at that point that, that, that this whole thing about being a Christian and being one in Christ and, and all the rest, that it really hit me, and I just broke before God, and I said, God, I don't know what to do. I can go to all white church, and we can talk about black people, why they always want a handout and, and crying that they're victims, blah, 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 and I just keep my mouth shut. Or I can go to all black church, and they can talk about white people, how they're racist, and we can't trust them, and blah, 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 blah. I just keep my mouth shut. And then God brought me to the Scripture and said, why don't you try following Jesus? I said, that's a novel idea. <laughs> so that brought me to Color Me Love, this next slide. And that's where I began to root, 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 root my life. That, that God says, that, that, that love is a priority. Jesus said, the first commandment, you love God. Why, why did I go to school in the first place? Because God led me there. Why was I getting married? Because God led me there. Why am I in this institution? 
because God led me there. God, that was, that was, that was God's doing. And why would I stay? God. And that brings it down to our text. Now, this text is an interesting text. You just, we just celebrated Resurrection Day. So in this text, the Last Supper here, it's before the crucifixion. Jesus bringing his disciples together. A number of things to teach them. One of the things Jesus says in this context is, one of you will betray me. Talking about Judas. Listen to me, folks. Something you and I have got to get down. Just because you're in a Bible-preaching church doesn't mean you get it. And just because you have disciple groups or small groups or whatever you want to say, doesn't mean you get it. Judas had the greatest teacher in the world. Judas was discipled by the greatest teacher in the world. Judas saw Jesus perform miracles. He heard Jesus teach. He ate with Jesus. And he betrayed Jesus. I don't care what type of programs we get or what type of... The X factor in everything is the human heart. And if Adam and Eve could have the greatest father, the greatest environment, everything supplied to them that they needed, and they sin against God, you and I sin against God. And so you and I need to examine our hearts. Let us not be a Judas. Judas is gone. You, we want to be like Jesus. Uh, that second point there said, said there's a mandate to love, there's a model of love, and there's the mark of love. Reading the scripture again in verse 31, it says, So when he had gone out, Jesus said, that's Judas, he's gone out. Now when he'd gone out, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him, him in himself and glorify him immediately. Little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek me. And as I've said to the Jews, where I'm going, you cannot come. So now I say to you, now, now these people have given up everything to follow Jesus. They were his disciples, eating with him, listening to him teach, observing his miracles, intimate relationship. And now he says, I'm going to leave you. But he says something to them that is critical for you and I to hear. He says, a new commandment I give you. Not a suggestion, but a commandment. When we talk about this thing, when I, when I say color me love, this is a commandment. Listen, Jesus didn't command them to change their ethnicity. He didn't command them to change their gender. He didn't command them to change the color of their skin. But he did make this commandment, a new commandment I give unto you. Well, what is the commandment? A new commandment I give unto you. That you love one another. That's why I say color me love. 
Your color doesn't tell me anything about your character. Jesus' color didn't save us. His character, the sinless son of God, that's what saved us. He became sin for us. He didn't become our color for us. He became sin for us. He became one of us that he might die for us, that he might save us, and his death had, had, um, was, was satisfactory to the Father because he was sinless. And while you and I put such an emphasis on color, God puts an emphasis on character. Color me love. That's a command coming from Jesus Christ. I need to love you. You might not look like me. You might not think like me. We may be in different economic categories, maybe in different age groups. But if you are a born-again believer, by the grace of God, you are my brother and sister. And God says, I am to love you. We are to love one another. And, and, and you say, well, well, we love one another. But, 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 but. So what, what does that look like? Well, he, he tells the disciples, he says, a new commandment I give unto you that you love one another as I have loved you. The mandate is to love. The model is Jesus Christ. You might not find the model in your mother. You might not find the model in your father. You might not find the model in your child. You might not find the model in the government. You might not even find the model in the church. But you should be looking at Jesus. How did he love us? He loved us first. God the Father and God the Son didn't wait on us to seek them out, to become compatible with them. No. In fact, it says of God the Father, for God so loved the world that he gave. The, the, the love was initiated in the heart and mind of God, the Father. He decided the Son would pay the price for us, and Jesus became one of us that he might die for us, that he might save us. He, he loved us first. He didn't wait for us to come seeking for him. God didn't say, oh, all these people on earth, they're just crying for me and they can't find me. And, and it's so, oh, 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 I got I to gotta send Christ. No, no one understood. Nobody was seeking God. It wasn't, this, there's this loving environment waiting on Jesus. No. Love originated in the Father because of his character, not because of our goodness. Think about it. So what does that mean for you? What neighborhood you need to go in? What group of people you need to go in? He says, no contact, no impact. I mean, you could put a little shingle on your church out there and say, community, welcome to Parkside. God never told unsaved people to go to church. 
He did tell the church to go to unsaved people. He loved us. He loved us first. He took the initiative. He decided to get engaged. He loved us most. What is it that you got that you think love, sacrificial love, will cause you to give up? What is it you got that can in any way compare to what Christ gave us? I mean, just take it on the, on the human side. You say, man, I live in a nice, safe neighborhood. How do you think that compared to heaven? I mean, compared to heaven, man, your neighborhood is just junk. <laughs> he, he gave that up. Being a human being is a big thing. Oh, man, I'm a human being. Yeah, I can do this and I do that and I'm great, I'm wonderful, and I can do that. You have lost your mind. That's why I love politicians, you know. They, they're like, the American people won't. I said, that's a stupid statement. The American people are so divided. How do you know what they want? I'm the answer. Well, you, if you all we got for an answer, we're in trouble. God, listen, God is the God of this universe. You hear people talking about the universes and galaxies and all this stuff flying around. No wonder the psalmist says, what is man that you are mindful of him? He loved us more. He gave up all of that. And ultimately, not by practice, but by substitution, he gave up his righteousness. He became sin for us. He who knew no sin, he was made sin, separated from the Father. You and I have nothing to compare to that. We have no way to, to compare to that. He loved us most. What is it that you can sacrifice God loved you. What is it you can sacrifice that can ever compare to Christ going to that rugged, dehumanizing cross? And he didn't go there because he was powerless. He could have called 10,000 angels, had the whole world destroyed. Love made him go there. He loved us most. And then I like this part. He loved us to life. Jesus praying that we might have life. And he said, and this is life, that they might know you. You know what? Some of us feel like, I, 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 I want you to get saved, but I don't want you to come in my church. I don't want you to come in my house. You know, you, 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 you stay over there on that side of the street. You stay over there. Life is intimate fellowship. Christ loved us to life. Not at a distance, but the Spirit of God indwells us. We can speak to him 24-7. We have access. His Spirit is with us. You and I need to love one another that way. We got to build that trust. We got to build those relationships. We got to be there because that is 
like that's that's love. You and I need you and I need to get there. Let me just run through this another next slide quickly here. I, I do a training called the Grace Relations Dream. I said, so what I want to what I want to get out of the Grace Relations Dream, and I'll explain that if somebody want to hear about it later. But but I'm trying to stimulate further study in the Word of God. And for people to get engaged with one another and to grow. I want to develop critical thinking, seeking biblical wisdom. Man, if, you, if, your, if, your, if your primary knowledge comes from what you're looking at on TV on social media, you don't have a clue on what's going on. You and I need to have our nose in the book and become critical thinkers. We pursue us and us solutions, not them and us. I ask people at the end of it, so what's your personal dream? And I go through 1 John, which I ain't got time to go through that here, but that, 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 that's that text about, you know, God loved us in a way if he so loved us that way, we ought to love one another. But he, but he, but, 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 but he talks about love. And, and, and he talks about how dwells the love of God in you when you see your brother or sister have need and you've got goods, you've got something to meet that need. There's a natural stirring of your inner gut to fulfill that need. But you shut the compassion off. How do I, what, what, what's God given you? Money? Intellectual? Technological? Truck, truck, I, don't know, I don't know what. I know that every one of us have been gifted by God. We've got things in our hands that our brothers and sisters need. Maybe a kind word, maybe forgiveness, maybe listening. I don't know. But what is it in your hand? And then what do you see around you? Where can you meet needs? I love the thing about serving your community. Go out and ask your community, how can we serve you? And then the question is, what will you do? Will you shut off the bowels of compassion? And when you figure that out, how will you do it? When will you do it? How will you measure success? The urgency is now. Color me love. I want to be known for my love. In Indianapolis, I've called a meeting of those leaders, gospel-centered, Bible-believing, say, should we answer the mayor's call, IMPD call, and a number of them said, yes, we should. I got another meeting coming up May 4th. And so we're going to try to put some structure to it. And here's my overall goal. Here's what I'm telling them. You don't, we don't want to go to the mayor's office and say, you're giving out a lot of money. We want money. I'm not going and asking them for money. What we're going to do is ask them, how can we help? How can we serve you? And, and then I tell them my ultimate goal is, num number one, on the news, you don't hear about it, but God's got some great ministries. I tell them God has a remnant in Indianapolis. There are ministries I know of, churches I know of, of faith uh, uh, organizations I know of. They are serving this city. God is working, but we don't know about it. We want to get to know about it, collaborate with one another, and we want to make it known to the city. My ultimate goal is that we be known for our love and good works, and we will capture attention 
and multitudes will be saved. That's my ultimate goal. God revive his church and send an awakening to the people of Indianapolis. And it's just great. I know God got all these ministries going on, and I just want to know how do we make them known. Go two slides forward. History. There we go. Here's a challenge I want to leave with you. History is still being written by the hand of God through his people. The defining image of the church of the 21st century is yet to be determined. Grace can loosen the chains of dysfunctional relations and weave a beautiful tapestry of multicultural churches. Grace can make the 21st century the generation of reconciliation. That's my passion. I don't want to curse the darkness of the past. I want to create history right now. So that 20, 50 years from now, when people come back and study this historical time, when they find Parkside Bible Church, they were known for their love. That's what I want. You can bring it next slide up. I got two slides and now I'm done. I got one minute. The um, First slide, Bob Jones University. Bob Jones University, when I said that school that told Sharon and I that, that if, if we got, if we were going to get married, they're going to bring her back, or told the student, the, grad, the president of that university was a Bob Jones University grad. Bob Jones University believed that interracial marriage was sin. They took a stand on it. They fought it all the way up to the Supreme Court and lost their case and lost their tax-exempt status. My first book I wrote, Precious and People of God, I mentioned Bob Jones in there as an example of an institution that misinterpreted a text of Scripture, misapplied it, and led people wrong. Last year, Sharon and I together went to Bob Jones University and I preached twice. Right now, I'm working with Bob Jones University Press. I have agreed to four speaking engagement this year. What they, what they want the Grace Relations way to be included in their literature and the schools, the Christian schools they serve, they want them to take this biblical worldview. That's nothing but the grace of God. Amen. I praise God for his grace. And then the final thing I will say to you is that that college that told the students they had to choose between the church and the college, one of the men who was attending the church was a guy in Get the next picture there, if you would. One of the men's Ken Rudolph. Yeah, y'all know Ken Rudolph. A lot of people, everywhere I go, people know Ken Rudolph. <laughs> Ken Rudolph and I were drawn together in college because of love for Jesus and love for one another. The seminary connected to the college, I was denied admissions to the seminary twice after Sharon and I got married. The college now has the Ken Rudolph and Charles Ware scholarship because one of Ken Rudolph's sons said, I watch you and my father and your relationship over the years, and that is what I believe is biblical reconciliation. May God help us. Father, we thank you for your mercy and your grace. None of us deserve it, but we sure thank you for it. God, our country 
our city, our communities. They need a manifestation of people from different ethnic, economic, and generational groups loving you and loving one another in such a way that they would say, God is alive. And many of them would seek you and get saved. I pray that you might continue to bless Parkside Bible Church and may the Spirit of God make himself known in and through them in this Brownsburg neighborhood. In Christ's name I pray, amen.